It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Log Talk Radio. Mr. Bill Ingram. Bill, how you doing today, buddy? Just a, a small issue there, Mr. Mr. Ingram. There we go. Now it's the be, two and a half hour should... amazing display that the rise of Skywalker was. Uh, and my daughter and I were high fiving and cheering and crying, and I mean, it, it it really was a two and a half hour love fest to everything that Star Wars has been over the last 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I know I have not seen it yet. I'm going over the weekend. So I will ask you one question that you and I have posed on this show and privately, whether it was going to live up to the hype and whether it was going to be the proper conclusion to the Skywalker saga. So did it meet that expectation level? And do you think it did its predecessors justice the way it was supposed to? I think it did. You know, I I think it depends on what you come in come in with. And I, and I liken it to the scene in The Empire Strikes Back where Luke is training Yoda, and they come to the cave, 
And Luke says, what's in there? And Yoda says, only what you take with you. So Luke's going to go in. He's strapping on his weapons. And Yoda says, your weapons, you will not need them. And he proceeds to put them on anyway and walks in. And, of course, we all know he finds Vader. It's a quick fight. Luke cuts off Vader's head only to find his own face there. Uh, I think what you expect when you go in will impact how you enjoy the movie. I have a very good friend who loves Star Wars who... I was like, man, I just hated it. And I was like, what? And then the more we talked, the more he's like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I didn't really think about it. And then, you know, um, I went in with tempered expectations because I wanted so desperately for it to be good. But, it, you know, the reviews, all kinds of crazy stuff out there. And, and keep in mind, reviewers are trying to get you to read their piece. So they'll say something negative or something crazy to get you to click on it. It's all clickbait. Uh, but walking out of the theater, I felt like, especially, I mean, well, I don't know, especially. There are about 20 scenes in the movie that are just absolute, perfect, incredible, you know, amazing tieback to previous movies. But the ending was, I mean, the ending, I just sat back and went, wow, that was a perfect, how, how do you end uh, a movie series that has transformed movies as we know them. Uh, if you look at the original Star Wars and you look at movies today, everything is influenced by Lucasfilm uh, and the techniques they came up with for filming blue screen, now green screen. Uh, to tie the whole thing up and to make sure you touched as many different things as you could touch to, to refer back to the original and make it really fulfilling, uh, I just thought... What an incredible movie. Well, I'm glad you like it. I'm glad it's, it lives up to the expectations. You and, you and I have been talking about it for a while, and now we have to find a new, new, a new movie series to uh, complain about. Because I know The Last <laughs> Jedi left such a bad taste. With, the last, like, jokingly, we, we've been saying it for so long, The Last Jedi has left such a bad taste in our mouths. We're like, well, should they have, you know, they had plenty of time when, from when Carrie passed away to... When the movie came out, they should have rewrote the ending where Luke survived and this and that and blah, blah, blah. And, like, now it's like, okay, you know, they gave us the ending. Looks like they gave the ending that you were happy with. So it's like, all right, cool. You know, well, I, I think the, the mistake I, I, of The Last Jedi and, listen, I the prequel trilogies are very – the first one, except for Jar Jar, even Jar Jar, I mean, he's funny, blah, blah, blah. The first one, uh, we were – my daughter and I were rewatching the movies over the week, you know, last week or so, just to get ready. Uh, and episode one really is not terrible. It's it's a lot of fun in a lot of places. A lot of things done really well. Episode two, same way. You could cut about 20 minutes out of episode two, like the whole sequence where, for some reason, R2 all of a sudden has blaster rockets out of the side. Like, what happened to those? He could have used those in Jedi, you know, like... Uh, and 3PO running around with the wrong head on it. Just stupid, stupid, stupid. A lot of that going on. But Last Jedi is nothing like that. Last Jedi, the problems that we have with it are not movie-making problems. They're choice. It was a well-made movie. Very well-made movie. It's just that J.J. Abrams set you up for some things at the end of the of The Last Jedi. I mean... The Force Awakens that did not come to fruition in The Last Jedi because you changed writers, changed directors, the whole thing, everybody was different. 
so I have creative differences with The Last Jedi, and I think everybody else does. It's not a bad movie. It was not made poorly. Like, the prequels have long sequences that just, oh, get rid of this. Uh, right. It's just that J.J. Abrams set a vision that was not carried through, right? Ryan Johnson just went, nah, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this. Now you got J.J. back, and he fixes. I mean, even though he's been quoted saying, I'm not trying to fix, yes, he fixed it. <laughs> to, yeah, yeah. to the extent there were certain things he couldn't really fix the way we wanted him to be fixed. But when you walk out of the theater at the end of The Rise of Skywalker, you're going to be like, yeah, okay, thank you. <laughs> thank you. That's what I, that's what I needed. <laughs> well, let's, be, let's, let's transition back to who's – let, speaking of fixing, we're going to fix the NBA today. But before we fix the NBA today, that's what we like to call the keys in the business. We're going to continue the Mount Rushmore <laughs> discussion to finish out the year here. Of, of the 1980s, we've discussed the 90s, and we've discussed 2000 to 2010. And as we are closing into 2020, we'll, we'll also do, I guess we can also throw in more towards the end of the show, the players of this decade as well. But Let's go to the 80s, and Bill, this is a little bit more challenging because we look at the NBA at this point in time, and this was a very, very exciting period because you had, in the 80s, you had the stalwarts like Larry and Michael and Dr. J was still going, and you had Kareem, and you had Magic, and and Michael was a rising star at this point. He wasn't I don't want to say he wasn't the, the he wasn't Michael Jordan yet, but he he wasn't this he wasn't didn't have the mystique around him of being the 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 clutch game changer. He didn't start getting that until the end of the eighties, where he had a shot right and making the players that. around him better. I think making players yeah, around he, him better was what transformed Jordan from a scorer to a champion. Right, and I even think though the way he did he, it he, was <laughs> ran some players out of the league. Yeah, no, there's always, there's always that side of it. Yeah, well, <laughs> I think for me, I felt like he he didn't appreciate Jordan until he won. I think until the third title against Phoenix. You know, the first one was it was crisis mode because you're. I felt against the Lakers, it was Magic Bird and Abdul Jabbar that generation torch being passed, sort of. To Jordan there. The second one was, ooh, can he can, can this cocky superstar repeat? And then the third one, you're like, wow, he's great. So yeah. that's when I really started. That's I, I I feel like the 1980s Michael was an immature, yes, unbelievable scorer, unbelievable player, but we really haven't been able to really scratch the surface about what and who he is. Yeah. So which makes yeah, it we very see that with a lot of stars though, you know. I think a lot of stars with a lot of potential don't even get to that point because it's a win-now league. It's a win-now league with with, uh, with untapped potential players as far as their, their talent is concerned. You know, I was watching the Rockets and the um, Clippers for a little while last night. And Ellington, who signed with Houston, I'm watching him play. Now, keep in mind, we're in an NBA right now that doesn't play a lot of defense. Or that there's a lot of the <laughs> yeah there's a lot of players who all can do a lot of the same things, which we've discussed in the past. But I'm watching Ellington play and I'm sitting like, wow, he's having a, a nice game. And, and then I I heard again 
and he was the number seven pick in the draft a, a few years back by Sacramento. And they're like, well, he was just about, and you heard the announcer says, well, he was just about out of the league. Why? The kid's got talent. He's got potential. He's, he's, you're watching him play. He's got the skill set. He's, he can play. But because we, we, play, we live in a win-now league, that's why. And it, it baffles yeah. me. Ben Mclemore's the same way. Yeah. Ben Mclemore, very talented yeah. scorer. I'm, but I'm you sorry, draft him high. I, you... I'm sorry. I meant Ben Mclemore. That's, that's who you meant I'm to sorry, be talking about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, I apologize. He doesn't play for the Rockets. Ellington plays you mean for the ben Knicks. Mclemore. Ellington plays for Ellington plays for the Knicks, and he's exactly where he should be. All right. So. Uh, <laughs> No, ben, ben, See how I McElroy, transitioned you back to you're like Rockets, Wayne Ellington. Like, when did Wayne Ellington play for the Rockets? Okay. <laughs> no, no, no. I, no, no ben, ben, ben Macklemore. I apologize. Ben, yeah, I'm watching Macklemore play, and I'm like, wow, he, he's a good player. And the Rockets got yep. a steal. And, and yeah. you know, just don't ask the kid to play defense. <laughs> which, which Mike Daniel if he's a <laughs> If he's a mid-teens, like early 20s first-round pick, you're like, hmm, okay. Yeah. But, yeah, win now. How many of those Kings players um, – Tyreek Evans, great example. The Kings couldn't really figure out how to use him, but he got to New Orleans, and wow. All of a sudden it's like, man, this, this yeah. kid's good. That's like we've talked about so many times. There are a handful of players who are going to be amazing no matter what team they're on. But the vast majority of the players in the league have to be on the right team with the right teammates and the right system to be to realize their potential. Yeah, it's it's amazing to me on how much talent is given up on him on such a quick basis. So you know, I yep. just think that uh, and and look, that even goes back to a guy like Kwame Brown. I know it's quite laughable when I say this, but you watch him <laughs> bounce around from team to team, and there were a couple teams that found a way to use him in a, in a positive way. And there was a couple times yeah. where you're sitting there saying, "Well, maybe this is this is where he's finally going to break out." Like you're watching him with with the Lakers and the way the Lakers was using him. The way Eddie Jordan was using him. Remember when Eddie Jordan first got to Washington, Kwame Brown was actually contributing, and we felt like, wow, all right, he's finally coming aboard. And then they moved him because Eddie lost control yeah. of that team the second, second or third year he was there. So, and not yep. only that, but uh, that Washington Wizards team got derailed by the Cleveland Cavaliers every time. <laughs> you know, Cleveland hated seeing Michael Jordan in the playoffs. Washington hated seeing LeBron James in the playoffs. So that's just the way yeah. that whole that whole time frame works. But so let's let's go into the 80s a little bit, and I guess we should start at the point guard position. And I'll tell you, you know, you can always make a, a an argument for Stockton, no matter where, what decade you're in. But he, I know, he came in midway through the uh, midway through the 80s, and he uh, still made his mark. But I think we both can agree that Isaiah Thomas was the man back in the back in the 80s. It's a it was his it's lead. a two man race. For me, and yeah. it's Magic and Isaiah. Ironically, they were very good friends off the court, bitter enemies on the court, <laughs> as it used to be in the 80s when, <laughs> when you were on the court, no friendships mattered. You were just trying to beat the other guy. But yeah, Isaiah Thomas and Magic Johnson were the two to watch uh, in the 80s for sure. I would tend to put Magic a little higher. Uh, I spent a lot more time watching him being on the West Coast, and the fact that I mean, he could play all five positions, and so we put him for his at a size. Point guard, though? Yeah. Well, I mean, the Lakers okay. played him at point guard. Okay. No, no. The reason why I asked that is because, like you just said before, 
there were times that they were going with, uh, they were mixing around that lineup where Magic was not playing as a, as a one. But you know what? I, I wasn't considering him putting in the one. I was putting him at, at a couple different, a couple different spots. So if I had to go that route, whether it's Magic or Isaiah, I'm going Magic, hands down, because I think, you know, yes, Isaiah has two rings. I apologize for cutting you off, but I, I'm sorry for that. But Magic, <laughs> Magic has the rings that, that, that justifies him being ahead of Isaiah. Magic was showtime. I mean, watching him play, granted, he had a, an incredible team around him. But I think, too, apart from Jabbar, the guys, Byron Scott, James Worthy, A.C. Green, these were all guys that were good because of Magic. He was just right. an incredible floor leader uh, in a way that there's not a floor leader like him. I know you hear people, I cringe, people compare LeBron to Magic, uh, kind of like they like to compare Jordan. And I, and I go, look, either you didn't watch uh, Magic play <laughs> or you're not watching LeBron carefully because Magic just lit up the entire court. And even, I was never a Lakers fan. That was always the bandwagon thing. Everybody had their purple and gold Lakers shirts or their green self, you know. Those were the big teams in the 80s. Almost every season, they were in the finals. But Magic actually made me interested in watching the Lakers. Uh, And ultimately, I would root for them if they were playing Boston in the finals. The rest of the year, of course, I was rooting for the Rockets to beat the Lakers every chance they got. But watching Magic was really... That was special. He was one of the just transformative players. And honestly, the reason the NBA is as popular as it is today is every bit as much because of Magic Johnson as because of any other player, in particular the rivalry between Magic and Bird. But Magic Johnson, the NBA has a a lot to thank him for in terms of their modern popularity, even all these years later. And the one thing with Magic, too, is he was a good guy. But I think what you, what you said before about Isaiah and Magic being fierce competitors, even though they were best of friends off the court, you don't see that today. You don't see that. No. And I think that's what's sort of missing with the NBA. I, I think rivalries and one-upmanship will eventually draw ratings. Like, if you look at I'm, – I'm sorry for keep going back to Michael, but if you look at Michael, you knew – some of his closest friends made it the better rivalries. He was good friends with Patrick Ewing. Mm-hmm. He was great friends with Patrick Ewing, but he and Bird. killed the Knicks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he killed the Knicks. And, and uh, you know, Barkley, yeah, you know, they wanted you know, to just assassinate okay. each other. They wanted bragging rights. Yeah. yeah, Barkley. Barkley went into that '93 Finals saying, "I want to be the guy to take down Michael." Yeah, and he fell <laughs> short. It didn't work out very well. And he, and, <laughs> He fell short. And when they had that second three-peat, I can't even say that Carl Malone or John Stockton were really good friends with Michael because they were in that little bubble out in Utah. Yeah. You know, so they really – I felt like the rivalry sort of slowed down a little bit when Michael came back because there was nobody who was really going to be able to keep, compete with him because he was on another level at that point in time. Yeah. But, so and the same thing with with Magic. I felt Magic and uh, my, Magic was on a different level than Isaiah was. You can make the like you just said, make the argument for Isaiah. But if we're putting Magic at the point guard position, there's no second guessing it. Magic Magic is the man for the Absolutely. for the eighties point guard spot. Now it gets a little more complicated. I think you, we just were discussing. Sorry, go ahead, please. Oh, I was just gonna say, I think the small forward position is equally easy, uh, even though. 
there's a, a definite <laughs> honorable mention, but and I, I say this as someone who hated the Celtics. Uh, the Rockets saw them a couple of times, um, and I and Larry Bird carried himself in a way that he was just, a, and from what I understand still, is just a, a nasty, egotistical asshole. I mean, he was coming to Houston <laughs> during the finals in 86, and kids were asking for his autograph, and instead of writing his autograph, he'd write, fuck you, to children. I have no use for Larry Bird as a person. I also know how he destroyed Roy Hibbert. I know how he destroyed that. I mean, I, I just I don't have a, a lot of use for him personally. But as a player, the one of the most clutch things I've ever seen, and I've shown this video to students when I'm teaching college and kids don't know who Larry Bird was. Uh, and I forget which game it was. It was one of the finals where the Lakers were in Boston. It was game seven. And they're, the Celtics are down two. And there's like two seconds left on the clock. And they inbound the ball in front of Pat Riley to Larry Bird, who shoots the ball, turns to Pat Riley, puts his finger in his face and says, game and has his back to the basket as it goes through the net. <laughs> uh, I mean, it. that... <laughs> Larry Bird was <laughs> just an incredible... And for somebody with no athleticism, you know, like you couldn't slide a credit card under his feet when he shot a quote-unquote jump shot, uh, but just took a million shots a day. I mean, he's a testament to... You don't have to be the most athletic. You don't have to be the most gifted. You can just want it so badly, and you can be the best. And those championships, those those elite Celtics teams of the 80s, <laughs> he was just deadly. Yeah, he was. And, you know, the funny thing is that Larry is, you know, uh, Gary Aide from the NBA show on SB Nation Radio would come would say this anytime we would do like the all-time teams or something like that as a conversation he would always go Larry Larry was the first one he always mentioned and I'm sitting there saying I'm like look he was a killer Larry was a killer I think the difference between him and Magic like you said is Larry as a person you don't want to root for Larry as a player you know an assassin you have to appreciate is, him as a player but you can't yeah, it's hard yeah. to root for him so, so, and yeah. who was your runner-up for for the small forward position? Doctor J, no question. Yeah, he was Doctor J, J and Dominique were the me. other two, uh, you know. But Doctor J was also an incredible person off the court, just a, an unbelievable. You know, there were three small forwards in the '80s that were just electrifying to watch. Uh, but I give Doctor J just a, a slight edge over Dominique. And my only problem with um, Dr. J, whereas it was a little bit more flash, and we talk about more of the highlights than his overall game. Like, you, yeah. don't, you don't see highlights of Dr. J shooting jump shots. Nope. It was all you know at I mean? the rim. He got by everybody. Yeah, was, <laughs> exactly. Where exactly. Dominique could do everything. Me, Dominique would drill you a three. He'd win the dunk contest. You know, he, he had a more com- maybe a more complete game. Yeah, so for me, I would put Dr. J maybe third in that, in that conversation. So it's, it's, that's, a, that's a hard one. But uh, Larry, Larry wins out, Dr. J three, and uh, Dominique two there. 
the, the, the two-guard spot, it's a tough one. Because, he, yeah, Michael well, dominated yeah. the Because Michael wasn't a champion yet, but. Oof. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, I'm watching him dribble between the legs and drop 60 on the Celtics. You know, you see that the flashes were there during the 80s, but you just didn't mm-hmm. know how to be a leader yet. And when he came back. Right. But now, but now it starts asking, so you had Clyde at that point, too. During the 80s, right. Dumars played well, but you're not sitting there saying that Dumars was better than Jordan. You know no, what I mean? Like, absolutely you're not, not. You're so, talking maybe guess, Adrian Dantley, maybe Alex English, uh, you know, in terms of, like, Dantley played all of those, every, 10 seasons in the 80s, he played the whole decade. Uh, and, you know, where, like you said, Jordan only played half of it. Um, Alex English played all the, the entire decade. I think you have to, for the purpose, uh, in the 90s, it's Jordan, and we had that conversation. I think in the 80s, you have to say, who were the guys that played the entire or the bulk of the 80s? And if you do that, I think it handicaps it in a way that you can talk about uh, Adrian oh, Dantley, <laughs> who was an incredible player. And and uh, Alex English, you know, even uh, even George Gervin played. Uh, you, can, uh, you can make an argument for so. you can make an argument for Bernard King too. Yeah, yeah, Bernard Cause, King. Because King, mm-hmm. King King played throughout a majority of the '80s as well, and his numbers were through the roof. Problem was, he was playing on a lot of bad teams. He played on a bad yeah. team. He played on a bad, <laughs> bad Wizards. Uh, you know. Bad Washington team when he was over there through his career. Yep. Finished off his career as a member of the New Jersey Nets, which I'm sure that does not fall in their career highlights for him. <laughs> nope. So, <laughs> so you know, you can start, there's so many guys you make an argument with. And like you said, Jordan played half the decade. But, again, for that half a decade, is there someone who's better than Jordan? Yeah, not, not for half a decade. There absolutely was not. <laughs> Dennis Johnson had more range. Yeah. <laughs> so did Byron well, Scott. And there you go. There's that. There, but again, would you say that Byron Scott, in in the ten year period, had a better overall? Not even. Not even. It's not even a conversation. Nope. <laughs> exactly. That's 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 my point. And, and 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 it stinks in that sense because you want like we're, we're trying to give everybody a little bit of shine here, but Jordan, right. like, just like the, the LeBron conversation. Jordan takes it over. Um, he does. What, now, if we go over to the power forward position, this is where it gets this is where it gets fun. Because this is still that time frame where big men were very. Uh, oh, it was were brutal. A bigger part it of the conversation. A, it was a yeah. big, brutal, big, brutal league for sure. Yeah, it's it changes it changes the game a little bit as far as conversation is concerned. Um. I think yeah. it's a even this though I think it's a it's largely a two man conversation because the Lakers and the Celtics were the ones every year in the finals you know and that was Kevin McHale and James Worthy were just brutal <laughs> you know you're talking about a front line that you try to drive on Kevin McHale you're getting hurt <laughs> this was when you could play defense Mikhail had those long arms, much better player than he was a coach. Uh, those long arms, you just you had a hard time getting a shot over him. Defense was so big in the 80s. 
and Worthy was just an electrifying that the Showtime. His, his game was so well built for that Lakers team that was run and gun. He just got up and down the floor. Also played a Klingon at one point in Star Trek Next Generation. <laughs> little trivia fact for you. He had a dream to be on Star Trek, and they made that happen. <laughs> and then wow, uh, the other, again, that. when you – yeah, he was. Look it up. He was in Star Trek Next Generation. Um, and then you have Barkley, but, again, that's the second half. Unlike Jordan, I don't think you can handicap it enough to put Barkley in the conversation because uh, McHale and Worthy were just so good. Well, and, and Malone came in the second half of the year, too. Yeah. So that's... But Carl wasn't – it took him a year or two. He didn't come in and dominate. You know, he the second year he he did improved his body and got stronger. You know all that. Yeah. But yeah. as a kid, I I just remember watching Jordan and I mean watching uh, McHale and Worthy go at it. Just. Mm. What about in the center position changes it changes the game too. So. Are we deciding on McHale because McHale is the, uh, the the king the king of the ring here at this point? I think when you take both ends of the court into consideration, McHale was an extreme game changer on the defensive end, and that I think that does give him the edge over Worthy. Okay, I think so too. I think that his. Uh, I think at that point in time, when you look at what McHale was bringing to the table, it also, it also changed it where you're looking at him going, this is, this is now. Like I, I look back at McHale, and I'm sitting there saying, man, some of these power forwards say a guy like Duncan would, would destroy him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, McHale wouldn't be able to nobody, – nobody from the – it's a whole different – players train differently. The game is so different. Uh, I think a lot of these guys trying to play against the bigger, slower front lines it would just have their way. But it, it's yeah. so hard to compare, oh, this player from the 90s and, and the 1000s, 2000s to this player. I mean, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, it, the game has left that kind of player. So even – I mean, Olajuwon was the reason Jabbar had to leave, I think. Because to, to have a quicker, smaller, more agile player going against a traditional stand in the post, wait for the ball, sky hook, you know, the league just doesn't do that anymore. Yeah, that's, that's very true. And I think also, you and I had talked about it, because it drives me out of my mind. It really does drive me out of my mind sometimes with watching the center in the power forward position being outside the three-point line, I love, I absolutely love that things were a lot closer for, yeah. <laughs> for, for to the hoop. That type of basketball makes sense. Yeah, well, in the three-point line, it was a harder shot in the 80s, too. The yeah. line was further out. But the league wanted to do all, it seems like all sports, baseballs, juice the ball, change the bats. There's a heck of a lot more runs scored now. Uh, more offense. The theory is more offense appears to appeals to fans more. I don't know. Maybe that's true. It doesn't to me. I <laughs> I like the 
more traditional, you know, but maybe that's just because I grew up watching that, so everybody thinks what they grew up watching is better than what's happening now. So maybe that's what it is, but I, I think the three-point shot, in a way, it, it, it's diluted basketball. I mean, especially when they they brought it closer in. <laughs> like, okay. Oh, God, yeah. Yawn. How about a four-point shot? Like, really? <laughs> a lead is nothing when you when you can hit a three-pointer like you're shooting a horse in the backyard, you know. <laughs> I'm all I'm all for the Rock and Jock B-ball game again. You know, we have the 25-point shot. Yeah, <laughs> it keeps the game. It keeps it keeps He's the game fire. interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Make it NBA Jam like I'm I'm off. Right. So, uh, but no, the, the center other... position is is uh, interesting because Abdul-Jabbar, all-time leading scorer in the NBA, was dominant for a long time prior to the 80s. I mean, he played till he was, what, 40, 41? Uh, Yes. And so lifetime accomplishment, Kareem is, (laughs) you know, there aren't many players that can stack up. He's like, LeBron, hold my jockstrap, you know. Um, (laughs) But (laughs) Moses Malone was – Awfully dominant on the other side of the, it, you know, a lot of times they were on opposite in opposite conferences. But uh, and Laj, I mean Moses eventually came to the Rockets, got them to the finals. But Moses was an incredibly just incredible center as well for the bulk of his career. To the point you, that even you, you know he, here again, Akeem comes in in that same draft, second half of the '80s. Elijahwan was starting to make some noise. But he was not yet the player. He was still really learning the NBA. He was fighting a lot because he wasn't used to getting hit and banged when he was playing soccer. And uh, so I think because Moses and Kareem were so dominant and so incredibly good, you have to stick to the the guys that played the whole decade. And to me, Kareem is, <laughs> you know, how many times? 40,000? Some ungodly yeah, number of points scored. But you know what the funny thing is, though? We, we always find a way to do it. We leave Moses Malone out of the conversation. And he, is, he was something special. Like, he, you know, he was. We talk about, we talk, you, and I, you and I talk about the, the high school players that don't have success. He was one of the guys that came straight from high school and went out there and did his thing and, and – and not only did he survive, he, he succeeded. There's a lot of these guys that came out of high school in the NBA. And don't get me wrong, there's the Sean Kemp's of the world who, you know, had, Kevin had a – Kevin Garnett had a, a nice little run. Same thing with Kobe. Well, Kobe Bryant obviously had a superstar career. But those Moses are the Malone exceptions that prove the rule. <laughs> yeah. Moses Malone, all those guys, they're the exceptions. Because most of the guys that try to come out of high school, there's a reason the league changed the rule about that. Because yeah. most guys are just not ready. Right. And I had but conversations most, with man, some guys. Who, wrecking crew. I had some conversations with guys in the NFL. And some guys in the NFL, when I, when I brought up age limits and stuff like that, they said, obviously, the NFL, for the NFL, you need to be in college because you need to prep your body the right way to be, yeah. to be on that in that level of uh, physicality. But they feel that they had no issues with the NBA being 18 years old and jumping in the league, where you and I are just, you know, we look at it as if you're going to do this, 
you know, what my old, <laughs> I'm going to give you my old expression, and I know you're going to, uh, you're going to laugh. You can't be half pregnant. You're either going to be in, or you're going to be out. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a fun expression to use. You're either, you're either you're in or you're out, and that's just the way it is. And I'm looking at the way that they've handled the, the NBA. They, I feel like they really made a disservice, and it goes back to our conversation that Jeff, Gan, Jeff Van Gundy went on his tangent about a couple of weeks ago on TV about having to have to try and alter the league to appease the players to make the league more competitive. Whereas it's not about the players. It's about the consumer. It's about the person who's watching the game. And yep. everyone seems to have forgotten about that. So I don't know. I'm just one of those people where I, I firmly believe that the eighties and the nineties were really the best time in the NBA because you were able to play defense you were able to be emotionally invested, not just in the playoffs, but in the regular season as well. And in the team. And, 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 Teams had identity. And in the team, not, yeah, not just the players. You know, because you remember back, you remember that the Knicks, and the Knicks were going to be, for those first couple of years, were going to bang bodies with you. The Detroit Pistons were going to bang bodies with you. Now yeah. it's like, now it's like you don't really – it's, it's the same crap. I hate to say it, but it's the same crap. Um, man, how do I transition back from that? Uh, <laughs> I'm going to try. Well, I think try to you're talking back. about some of the bruising, the guys that survived in that league for so long. It was something to survive. And the front line, especially in the NBA, for guys to be dominant like Malone, like Kareem, uh, was really something because uh, every night you were – and you knew who you were ba- – like. Oakley and Ewing was brutal. Uh, you know, you you every every team had its identity, and you knew this year you're you got to go through the Knicks. You're going through the Knicks next year too. Same team, right? Whereas now, be like Ewing would if it was the modern you know version. Ewing would be like, hey, maybe I'm going to go play with Magic. Uh, Kareem's retiring. You know, <laughs> like you just can't you can't imagine. Uh, that kind of thing going on back then because it just that just was not how it worked. <laughs> you didn't want to team up. No. You wanted to beat the other guy. Uh, and so well, and that, now you don't know what your team's going to be from one year to the next. We've seen the Thunder just get decimated. We've seen, I mean, even Golden State. Like, you just don't know where a star player is going to be. LeBron's been everywhere. You know, different players that you think would want to establish their identity and own a team. Kyrie Irving. They don't. They want to find greener pastures. You know, the grass is always greener, and sometimes it, the grass doesn't hold the championship ring in it. Well, let's and I think that's the best way you sort of can transition it. So, real quick, let's recap. Take a brief recap. Let's look back at the '80s. So, I think we agree. Magic is the point guard. Absolutely. Michael is the two. Yep. Bird at the three. Larry's the three. As, as, as much as it pains you, Larry's the three. Yeah. <laughs> Mikhail at the four. Mikhail at the four. And then. And the all time league leading scorer, Kareem Abdul Luau Cinder Jabbar. Center. Yep. <laughs> and you, I, I, love how you, I love how you built Bill Walton that. If we did the 70s, Walton's in the conversation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Clearly. So. Clearly. 
Yes, I don't understand why he is underestimating the psychology of the game. <laughs> I would say. And so we will go from a guy like Bill Walton, who we sometimes have a hard time understanding, to a decade we really don't understand, and that is this, since we're heading into 2020. Let's go back into our Wayback Machine and go from 2010 to 2019 and do our best players in the position. And this now gets a little complicated, Bill. This gets really complicated. Because oh, you want to do 2019? Hey, I thought we were doing the stocking. Which team needs a Santa to bring something down there? <laughs> no, it's very tough. Which, which, uh, which team I mean, just look at small forward. Who are you going to say? Is it Kawhi Leonard? Is it Giannis Antetokounmpo? Is it LeBron? Is it? <laughs> yeah, well, that's very well. Let's, that's let's, very tough. So, uh, let's so let's look at the point guard position, which has been, I think, very diluted over the last ten years. Yeah, because the game that doesn't position, revolve. You've got a lot of shooting guards playing point guard. James Harden's a great example. Um, true point guards, I'll take Luke, man. I'll tell you what. Second year, but if we're talking about this year, Luka Doncic, that's my point guard. Yeah, well, sadly, we have to look at the last 10. And if you look at going back into the 2010, you look at some of the dominant point guards at that time were obviously Darren Williams. You know, looking at Chris Paul, I think I, think I almost have to go Paul. For the 10 years. Westbrook. He's been doing it. Westbrook. You can make an argument for Paul, though, the thing about uh, Chris Paul, he's not a big game, big series. He's a little like Tracy McGrady in that way, that when the game is really on the line. Where is uh, it? Yeah. Whereas Westbrook is going to give you the same thing every game. Granted, only been to the finals once, but – Average a triple double three years. I mean, come on. Averaged a triple double three years in a row. Oof. Okay. So I, I get, you know, and I agree with you about Paul because Paul, you would you would be like, what's he really done? And then you look up and you're like, wow, that's what he did, huh? I didn't even realize it. You know, you yeah. don't realize he's put how many points on the board, how many assists, how many uh, how many boards. You don't realize that with Chris Paul. Whereas Russell Westbrook, everything revolved around him and. You know, that's to me, as you look around the rest of the league with the point guards, there's been no other point guard that has really stood out besides those two. That you can say, okay, th- that's, that's my guy. That's the guy who's transcended this position over the last, the last 10 years. There, he's yeah. not there. You know, I'm, look, I'm looking in my head. No. Going in my head, looking around the league, what point guard has there been there for the last 10 years? The only one close is Steph Curry. Yeah, you know, but Steph is a different. It's a different kind of play. He's not gonna. You're, he's not a triple double machine. He's the greatest. I think he's established himself, even at, at relatively young. He's still in his prime. Greatest shooter in the history of the league. Just ungodly shooter. But average a triple double yeah. for three seasons. <laughs> well, yeah, and now, but not only that, but you know, also we're leaving Kyrie out of the conversation. But Kyrie has not really done anything in in my eyes. Uh, no. To, Kyrie to, is, to warrant this conversation. Nope. He he absolutely has not. I I don't know what the heck is up with him, but he just I mean, we talked about this off the air. The Nets are better without him. They're better with Spencer Dinwiddie yeah. in the you know, like so no, I don't put Kyrie in there. 
I'm just looking around the league, and I'm sitting there saying, like, Derek Rose had promise, but, you know, he, yeah, but he injuries derailed him. Yeah. Yeah. And if he hadn't gotten him. hurt. Yeah. Damian Lillard, uh, you know, got to the Western Conference Finals last year. Um, but yeah, average so, a triple-double. <laughs> like, that's... Yeah, so, <laughs> so let's 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 take the vote. I guess it's Russell Westbrook is the point guard of this of the last ten years. I it's hard to it's hard to pick somebody else. Yeah. Um, then you have. I mean, the only other the only two. other one is is Steph Curry, and that's because you got championships. You know. Yeah, but I'm you, I'm hesitant to even give the, him that. You know, I'm, I'm hesitant not. to give that to Steph. Uh, <laughs> But I'll I think, tell you why I mean, I'm if, to give it to. no, please go ahead. No, what you're hesitant. Uh, I'm hesitant to give it to him because I'm talking about all around play. Like you've you've already just said it. Yeah. Right. right. Three, three uh, years of averaging a triple double. Get warrants you yeah, to have. I, I'm. That's yeah. I. I I can't argue against I'm saying it, it's, Russell it's, Westbrook. Is, it's not a – It's not a. I, what I'm saying is Russell's the guy. The only other guy in the conversation is Steph Curry, and it's because he's hit huge shots to win championships, you know, the whole thing. He's in the conversation, but it's Russ. There's no question. But then, but then when it's funny, when you go to the two-guard conversation, it makes me want to ask you, do we put Clay Thompson in the conversation for the two? Yeah, well, I, he is in the conversation. Absolutely. He's an incredible defender as well as an incredible shooter. And when you're a two-way player, uh, a lockdown defender, and a, <laughs> a guy you just can't leave on the offensive end, yeah, you're absolutely in the conversation. Who do you have above it? The problem is who – well, that's, that's the next question. Who else? I'm trying to think back over the last James 10 Harden. years. I mean well, – James Harden. I guess, yeah, James Harden's like. My I think only James argument, Harden. James Harden has to be really. I think James Harden has to be the guy. Even though Clay, see, it's if you're having an MVP conversation, those rings matter. Uh, but but Clay has played largely. Obviously, KD was in and then out. But they won championships before KD. Um, Harden hasn't had the continuity around him that Clay has had, and Harden hasn't had consistently a great, I mean, you know, well, he had Chris Paul, he had, now he has Westbrook, but neither of those players, they don't compliment him. Is he the point guard? I mean, he's going to give you a bunch of assists. A lot of those assists are because he just can't get the ball in a trajectory towards the basket, so he has to pass. He's not a great playmaker, but, I mean, his scoring ability, he he's a if you had uh, a couple of different pieces around him, there's no reason he wouldn't already have a couple of rings. It's just that the Rockets don't believe in continuity, or they don't pull it off, one or the other. They're always uh, – <laughs> Daryl Morey is a very uh, esoteric – like he, he's so far into the numbers and doesn't get the chemistry and team-building aspects that great general managers get. Uh, and so there's somewhat of a revolving door around Harden. And so I don't know if that has set him back or if just his inability to create 
you know, makes it where guys don't reach their full potential around him. And that's a that's a difficult thing to quantify without putting him in a totally different situation and seeing how he performs. Yeah, I think I think with West with Westbrook, well, I'm sorry, with, with what you're saying with James James Harden though is it's to me is the epiphany. I, I just wanted to find a good excuse to use that word. Um, the epiphany <laughs> of, um, <laughs> with James Harden. I, what I what I don't like about him is he doesn't play defense. None. That's the thing. That's why and, I say Clay, lockdown defender and a force to be reckoned with on the offensive end. James spends most of his time wondering why everybody's won't go into the other end of the court. What are, where, why are y'all going back there? We score over here. That just seems to be his. <laughs> he's not as bad as he used to be. Like the last maybe two seasons, he does at least know which player he's supposed to be defending, where the bulk of every year before that, he didn't even know. I mean, the year Portland beat them in the finals, they just – Terry Stotts just gave the ball to Wes Matthews every time. He's like, dude, James Harden's supposed to be guarding you. Give him the ball every time. And there's even videos of this series where Matthews just scored at will because James wasn't even – (laughs) <laughs> didn't even know where he was. So, but man, but Harden is a, a force to be reckoned with. There's no question on the offensive end. Did, did, you, did you think that it was a bad decision for OKC? Like obviously long, you know, long, long, long-term uh, hindsight 2020. You know, we, we always say it's probably a mistake that they didn't sign uh, James Harden to a contract extension at that point in time. But looking back at the time frame, there's a lot of guys in the league who was able to do what Harden is able to do as far as score, putting points on the board, yeah. putting those types of numbers. Every guy in the league yep. is given the opportunity like Harden has, can put points on the board. Did you think it was a smart decision for, at the time by the Thunder to re-sign Ibaka and let Harden walk? Well, that's it. You had to decide, would you rather have a, your guy off the bench who is a good scorer but doesn't play any defense or do you want your power forward who blocks shots, can shoot anywhere on the court, a more versatile player? In hindsight, Ibaka didn't evolve into the player that, you know, maybe you thought at that point maybe he would be. Uh, so in hindsight, maybe you go, no, if you keep Westbrook, Harden, and Durant together, maybe they've got a couple of rings now. But it's hard it's hard to question, and I knew I knew Sam Presti real well when he was going through this. And ownership just told him, "You can't pay. You can't pay Harden. You got to, you know, you're not going to pay him." So when Harden's camp was asking for a max deal, Presti traded him immediately because he said he didn't want every game all season long. You know how the media is. Every every night it was going to be. What's going to happen with Harden? Are you going to re-sign Harden? Where's Harden going? You're trading Harden, and everybody's going to be asking in the locker room to James, where are you going? Where do you want to play? Are you unhappy with your minutes? All that crap that the media does that I hate uh, would have just torn the team down. So he made a move, and he got a lot of stuff back from Houston. Uh, You know, I thought (laughs) Daryl Morey has lucked out a couple of times, and that was one of the times because he looked at the advanced stats on Harden's offense and thought, well, we put the ball in his hands a lot. He'll score a lot, and he does. 
but <laughs> he no ring. Play any defense. No, so yeah, you know, well that's so that's you hire Mike D'Antoni as your head coach, and you don't even ask anybody to play defense. <laughs> I mean, that was a great move. I hated <laughs> Mikhail was horrible. Mikhail was just an awful coach. Um, but when you look at James Harden and you go, he's not going to play defense. Who do we need to coach? It's Mike D'Antoni. I mean, no, that was a brilliant move because that's a match and, made and in heaven. D'Antoni's system and, and Harden are incredible. And what do you do? And who do you put? Who do you do uh, defense with? You just bring in Trevor Ariza. He'll anchor the defense. Not a problem there. Yeah. Uh, right. <laughs> and that's how Trevor. And now they paid. want. Now they, they want Iguodala. You know, that's why they're looking at Iguodala now because they know. If you want to get out of the West, somebody's going to have to play some defense on LeBron and Kawhi and Paul George. And <laughs> so, well, yeah, that's another. Forward. Who you got? That's another. No, this, it's a two. Yeah. It's a two-player discussion. There, it's not even close. There's not a third. Maybe in the last couple of years, because Antetokounmpo has come along, but for the entire time, it's LeBron and KD. By the way, we left off one guy in for for the two guard discussion. Who's that? And it was the same guy that we discussed from 2000 2010. And we can always make the argument for Dwayne Wade. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, you can make an argument, but at this in this time period, Harden, Wade, and Clay Thompson are not on the same level. <laughs> no, 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 definitely not. But I think just because of his seniority in the league, you have to say, well, there's also Dwayne Wade. <laughs> yeah, I mean, was Kobe still in the league? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you you can still make that argument because Kobe was retired what in sixteen? Yeah, <laughs> still say. You, you can, I mean, he scored one hundred and twelve points in his team. last game, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Still, in fact, but for the technically in his mind, he's still scoring points. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, so okay, so uh, so at the three, it's a three. It's either it's either LeBron or KD. And yep. um, man, I, I got to tell you, unlike the the first part of the argument with LeBron for the for the last for the decade before, I look at the, the situation with um, LeBron, and I, I have to give it to him hands down, and I'll tell you why. There's one thing that he was able to do that Kevin Durant was not able to do, and that was sort of take the responsibility of being the face of the league. KD didn't. Yeah, want that. it's funny. It's funny because LeBron yeah, was KD not somebody I wanted to build a team around personality-wise. Uh, early in his career, I I talked to him several times in multiple different situations, and I just thought, what a man, <laughs> what a knucklehead. But he got it. He came around and he got it. He figured it out after they lost to the Mavericks uh, in the finals and. Uh, he got it, and he a, a, a switch flipped in his head, and he's become the legit superstar. KD seems to have gone the other way. I always liked KD better than LeBron because, well, first of all, who he is off the court, he's an incredible, just a great, nice guy. Um, but and, – and ball in his hands with the game on the line, forget it. Game's over. He's going to win it. And LeBron was not that way for a long time. Still isn't quite that way but uh the thing is kd has damaged his stock so much with his 
all these what alternate Twitter accounts to defend himself? Like, why does he care so much what other people think? And that I think it's why he left uh, OKC. I think it's why he left Golden State. And it's going to be interesting to see if he can get healthy next season. And because he doesn't have a you know, nearly the team around him in New Jersey or in Brooklyn that he had in either of the previous two places. So uh, what's what's his legacy going to be? You know, I think that right there, we know what LeBron's legacy is. KD, we're yeah. starting to kind of go, hmm, I'm not sure. KD is the type of guy in my eyes, this is, this is just my opinion, that you wanted to say – when he first started in OKC, all the way till his exit was, he was the guy you say he is the, the typical NBA superstar that you want to have. He doesn't say too much. He doesn't go too crazy. But he is he's, a, he's just a good player. He's just a good guy and a good player. Yep. So that's, that's all you wanted him for. So, that's right. That's just the way. That's just the way he, he is. It's the way he was perceived. He's the way we, we, we liked him. And something happened after that Western Conference final. Something happened there when they lost to Golden State in the Western Conference finals that uh, something triggered in him that felt like he had to, he had to go. He didn't want yep. to play, play with Russell Westbrook anymore. Maybe it was a, a, a I want to prove that I can do this type of thing. But what, by doing what he did, he tarnished his own legacy a little bit. And people like at the time are saying, you can't kill him from wanting to make the decision because he wants to win, win rings. I understand he wants to win rings. But it takes more. The NBA novelist, the, 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 the true NBA fan, looks more at the, who are you going to beat? What are you going to bring to the table? You know, this is your team. This OKC team is your team. Lead your team. Don't be that guy. And as soon as he made... And if he would have gone to any other team, if he would have gone to San Antonio, I don't, maybe, maybe not San Antonio, if he would have gone to the Clippers, if he would have gone to the Boston Celtics, if he would have gone to any of these other teams that he was going to talk to, he would have fit in as the top guy, and he would have won. You know, If he would have won, it still would have been his team. Imagine KD yep. playing with that Boston Celtics team, the one um, with Brad Stevens. Kevin Durant yeah. playing there, my God, that would have been that would have been fun to watch because <laughs> guys like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and those guys playing with Kevin Durant. Yeah, man, that would have been that would have been something to watch. But because he well, they have Gordon games, Hayward, so I don't know why you want to talk about Kevin Durant. Oh, yeah. Oh come on! I, I, no, seriously, it's not even <laughs> it's not even a competition. I'll take I'll take Hayward over Durant any day of the week. I'm waste on a Sunday. Um, <laughs> if you look if you look at it. If you really look at it, Durant made that childish choice. I can't even call it childish. But by doing what you did, it's saying that I'm not, I don't think that I'm good enough to win this as me being the lead dog. I have to go other places. And don't get me wrong, Durant hit some big shots in some big places and some clutch shots and some clutch situations. But finals MVP? My issue with finals MVP, my problem was, he did it with no pressure on him because he knew yeah. that if he missed that shot, the next time down the floor, somebody else is going to take that shot. 
it'll be somebody else's problem. He -hmm. didn't want the negative intention. He wanted, and what what ended up happening was he misjudged it and mistimed it, and that's all he got was negative attention from it for the wrong reason. The the basketball player, the basketball player, he hurt himself by not being for being his team. He went to Steph Curry's team. He went to Clay Thompson's team, and was not able to. He kept uh, winning. They were already winning, and they kept yeah. winning. Right. He was not able to develop his team identity. Now he's going to Brooklyn, and yes, he has to sit for this year because of whatever happened out there with his injuries. He should have, should have played, shouldn't have played. You know as much as I do. It takes a real competitor to go out there when you're hurt to try and give it a go. And he hurt himself even more. It was just a, it was rough luck on Durant's part. Yep. But with that being with that like being Clay said, Clay Thompson shooting those free throws with her. <laughs> man, <laughs> they did not go well, down without a fight. <laughs> no, definitely not. Definitely not. But now with Durant, you have to. Let me ask you, with the way this Nets team is built, knowing that they weren't going to have Durant this year, going in the next year. You're the you're Durant. Are you really looking forward to coming back and playing at this point? Seeing what you see what you got nope. so far, or or is he the type nope, of kid that's going to come out here and say? I was going to say, is he the type of kid that's going to come out there, look at what's going on, and say, you know what? Yeah, let me go out there and let me uh, let me lead, let me lead you boys and show you how this is done. Because people can make the argument of Durant playing in Oklahoma City and not knowing how to win. Played yeah. all those years and not knowing how to win, not knowing how to close the door, and, and that's what he learned in Golden State. And that's the argument you can make for it. Well, I mean, well, that's what we'll find out, right? Did he learn that? Yeah. Did he? Well, sure. Now, does, can does you do it without he, Steph Curry? <laughs> yeah. Because Kyrie can you do Irving without Clay no Steph Curry. Yeah. Can you, do it without, can you do it without Clay and Draymond Green? Can you do it without – he definitely wants to do it without Draymond Green. Um <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, so, I think with from a, from a maturity wise, LeBron went up while KD's maturity was going down. So I'm gonna go LeBron at my three, and it's still hard to do sort of do that. But it, it, I'm putting LeBron at that three spot. Yeah. And then at power forward, unlike previous <laughs> every other time we've talked about the power forward, you know, it's just been an easy answer and this particular time period it's like well you got a bunch of robins you got kevin love you got lamarcus aldridge you've got i mean anthony davis may be the he's certainly the biggest beast of the lot but he can't stay healthy <laughs> like uh i really thought lamarcus aldridge when he went to san antonio was ready he had proven he could be a leader in portland so it took a long time but he got to San Antonio, and nope, he just is not interested or, or something. And Kevin Love, yeah, uh, you know he's <laughs> he's a force at times, but not all the time. He's not even Robin. He's more like the bat bat girl, or not yeah. <laughs> like the third. <laughs> the third person he's Alfred. most nice. Yeah, yeah, there you go. He's Alfred. There you go. <laughs> but I I look at him and I go There's a lot of potential there. Blake Griffin 
great dunker. Couldn't get along with Chris Paul. I don't know if that was more his fault or Chris's or both. Uh, but Blake Griffin's not. You're not going to feed him the ball every time down and watch something happen. So I'd almost, I'd almost have to go with Anthony Davis just because now that he's with LeBron, that duo is incredible. That they're pick and roll together. They're, I mean, just uh, it's lethal unless they're playing Milwaukee <laughs> or Dallas. <laughs> I'll tell you, because we're talking about the 10-year span, and Duncan retired in 17, or 16. He retired in 16. I still want to throw Duncan some Oh, votes. well, that's easy. Even, we'll just put Tim Duncan in there. <laughs> <laughs> even though the last... We're talking about that 10-year like, span. Yeah. Even the last two years, he was more of a, you know, wasn't... I mean, you know, he's older. But, hell, even at that age, Tim Duncan was more than any of those other guys, so... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We've solved it. It's Tim Duncan. Okay, yeah. gotcha. <laughs> yeah, he's he's the defending champion for two years in a two decades in a row. So yeah, uh, I would make the <laughs> argument. I would make the I would make the argument for Lamarcus just because of his numbers. But as far as impact, he's not making that impact. No. So. So he and it's funny we we joke around saying Batman and Robin. Right now, Popovich is. If Popovich is Alfred, he's certainly is looking hard for a Batman for his team. And I oh, think, they're um, looking very hard. Yeah. Yeah, this is this might it's be too bad they don't be, have an elite top. small forward. If they had an elite small forward, that team is built perfectly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can I, and can I oh, tell man. you? You know, we also can make an ar- we also can make an argument for the at the, at the small forward spot for Kawhi. But the problem is all yeah. the antics that goes on with Kawhi That's makes it. you not want to put, put him in there. The, the the load management and the stuff that happened his last year in San Antonio. Like you look at what he did last and year in Toronto. Toronto. Like nope, I'm not. Nope. <laughs> no, and they're really not that. The Clippers are not as good. I mean, there's a lot of nights I'm like, I'm not sure they're even a Western Conference Finals team. They might, depending on who they play in the first round, they might be in trouble. You know, they just look so good on paper. Yeah. It goes back to what you and I were saying earlier in the year. They need an established big in there. Yeah. That's going to help them. And instead they have two small forwards. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. That's the thing where if you could go, hey, we'll send, I mean, there's no way you're not going to send Paul George to Cleveland, but Kevin Love is the kind of player that would round that out nicely. Blake Griffin. Well, well, this was what you and I were going to do. We were going to look around now that the December 15th deadline is up with the contracts. Yeah. What, What is out there? What is out there, and do the Clippers have any more assets to give to go get something? Well, that's it. I mean, you've spent the bulk of your money on your two star forwards, and so it's awfully hard to see them acquiring another uh, a star forward without giving up one of those <laughs> one of those two, and. If I were going to do that, honestly, 
I trade Kawhi. If I could get Kevin Love or Blake Griffin for Kawhi Leonard, I got to tell you, I'm pulling that trigger. Because I know Paul George. I know where his head's at. I know where he wants to be, where he's going to be. But, you know, (laughs) can you count on Kawhi to be anything next year? Can you count that he's not going to, if the team doesn't get to the finals or win the championship, is is, is his uncle going to start demanding trades in the media? <laughs> like, whoo. I don't know. But there are teams, there are a lot of teams that need help more desperately than the Clippers. The Clippers could be fine come All-Star break. You know, they're still trying to figure it out. It's too early to pull the plug on that. But you got a team like Denver that's struggling. You've got to be, you know, something's just not right in Denver. Something's missing now. Uh, Houston is clearly a piece away from, you know, being at the top. Portland really needs a power forward. It's great that Carmelo's giving them offense, but they need a big man to compete with the bigger teams in the West. Uh, There's some teams that can really use a guy that's not going to make the playoffs like Kevin Love and who is being actively shopped. The problem is the deals. The deals. You, this is what you taught me over over the years. We're hearing about all these different trade rumors with Kevin Love. How old? How old is the information that we're getting right now? Yeah, and that's what you never know. Stuff gets leaked later, uh, and the the press gets used for uh, you know to, to try to up the ante on stuff and to, and to stir up interest in things and and yeah, you never know. Are they really gonna? What are they going to – I mean, obviously, Kevin Love sticks out like a sore thumb on that team because he's still a player who could help a team compete for a championship. But what are you going to give up? What do you have to give up uh, to get him? Because well, Kevin Love's not look around prime anymore. No, definitely not. Definitely not. But then you have other guys in the league who are on bad teams who have talent that if you put them on a, a team that needs help, will they really help them? Like, I look at the Minnesota Timberwolves, and I see Wiggins and I see Carl Anthony Towns, and I'm sitting there saying, how are they not a playoff team every single year with, with that type of talent? And maybe, they, yeah. A, they just don't work well together, or, B, maybe it's just time to break that up and start that over. I know that's the Minnesota motto. but um, <laughs> Yeah, it really is. <laughs> well, for one thing, Andrew Wiggins has never played like a player that looked like he really wanted to be a great player or be in the playoffs until this season. He's just always been that guy that you're like, okay, well, some guys look great, get drafted high, and then they're just not that player. And you can't say it's a system. They've had a lot of different people running that show up there. And I don't know. There's not a, there's not a dagger. Carl Anthony Towns is not a dagger player. He's there's something you see Tim Duncan, Michael Jordan, Olajuwon, Bird, Magic, all these guys we've talked about, they have an an inner assassin. And when the game is on the line, they are not going to be denied. And that just, boy, (laughs) it's hard to find. There aren't many players that that really, truly have it, and uh, he doesn't. (laughs) 
No, I think I think uh, Towns is a Robin, not a Batman. Yeah, I think that he needs to play with the Batman. I I think Chris Bosh is a great, you know, you put if Carl Anthony Towns were in L.A. instead of uh, Anthony Davis, would he be amazing? Yes, of course he would. Maybe, you know, think about where would he get a bunch of touches? I mean, Houston. It's a run and gun system where he they could use him on the pick and roll a whole lot, but does he get the ball? Uh, Portland, Portland can use him. Yeah, but I, does he? Yeah, he's got a little bit of a jump shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you could, tr- if you could send Whiteside. Oh, but how do you sell tickets? <laughs> how do you sell tickets in Minnesota? Yeah, I don't know. Are they selling tickets? Uh, how do you sell tickets by saying, "Hey, we traded." Uh, Carl Anthony Towns for Whiteside, like. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know who can use him. You know, this is crazy. He's in the Miami Heat can use him. Get some help yeah. in there. The Heat. I don't know. Yeah. I think they are a little bit like the Clippers in that they look really good at times, and maybe by the time we get to the All Star break. Miami is good, like fine. I'm not sure yet <laughs> because they've got some awfully good young players that are showing you some things that on paper you didn't maybe, you know, that's why they're better than anybody thought they'd be. And I'm not, if I'm Miami, I'm not, mm, that's a big move to make. I'll tell you, I'll tell you one team that has surprised me in the first half. Um, obviously, they're not, they're not knocking down the, you know, not blowing off the doors with wins right now, but you got to give credit to the coaching. Steve Clifford down in Orlando has done an amazing job. They're being competitive. If the playoffs start today, today again, they're, they're in for what would be the second straight year. And he's taking it with a guy, bunch of guys. Yeah, they have talent, but not a lot of talent. Yeah, but who's he's the doing star? playing basketball. <laughs> just, the, just the foreign kid. They have the foreign kid. Yeah. What's his name? The kid who's been in the slam dunk contest is not really a star. Right. Uh, I think there so. you talk about culture because John Hammond is their general manager, and he came in, of course, made the coaching change um, and started really building a culture from the ground up, which the Magic needed. I mean, oh, my God, since the Dwight Howard debacle and all that stuff. It's been a negative situation, <laughs> and they needed to start yeah. over. It's like what the Knicks need to do and haven't quite figured out how to do it. you got to get rid of everybody and really start over and invest in the future and let them grow organically. Even the Mavs have done this um, with more success, obviously, but because Luka is just, oh, my God, trans, talk about a transformative player. Um, you know, but the Mavs for the longest time were all about chasing the free agents um, you could play that game with Dirk Nowitzki that we used to play with Kevin Bacon. You know, the, what was it, the two levels of Kevin Bacon? Everybody's been in a movie with somebody who's been in a movie with Kevin Bacon. And that's the way yeah. Dirk was. Like, you, can't, you couldn't name a player in the NBA that hadn't been either on the Mavericks or played with someone who was a Maverick because it was just a revolving door. But when they finally were yeah. like, okay, we need to actually draft, we need to actually develop players, we have a great coaching staff for doing that. And now we see results. The Mavs are, before Luka got hurt, they were really rolling. Yeah, and it's funny. I, at one point, I actually called the Mavericks the New Jersey Mavericks because you had Kid Jefferson Carter all there. 
at one point. <laughs> um, <Yep. laughs> um, all, all joking aside, with you look around like with for Carl Anthony Towns, if you're a team that is looking for, I guess, either a final piece of that puzzle or a team that wants sort of looking for a rebound, like Oklahoma City would not be making a move for Carl Anthony Towns. But no. if you were able to find... No, there's the wrong... Because OKC, OKC went into this season like with the attitude of, we're going to try and tear this thing down so we can rebuild. But meanwhile, they're, they're, like, they're like the eighth seed right now, and then they're sitting there going, no, no, we don't want to be here. What, what, what do we got to do? Who do we got to sell off? Who can we sell off? Yeah. Anyone want Paul? Anyone want Chris, Chris Paul? Anyone? Anyone? Highest? Come on, give me a Coke and fries. It's yours. Come on, let's go. You know, it's like that's what the <laughs> – that's what the that's what the mentality is right now. There's the teams who know that they went as far as they went with the talent they had. Like I felt for Russell Westbrook because they went out and got Paul George, and it just the two never meshed. The two right. just never really meshed. And you wanted West like when after Durant left, Westbrook became the sympathetic figure, and you wanted to see him and that team go well together. Not except for during the Houston Rockets series when you're watching Westbrook shoot half court threes, that was the, that was the tough part. But with that being said, you're you're you felt for that organization because they did everything the right way, and then when it came time to pay everybody, they just couldn't do it. It was a small market team. Yep. Now everyone's everyone's yeah. looking for the quick fix. So what's wrong with the quick fix? The only city that has a problem with with doing things the right way is the Knicks. Everybody else is like, we have to rebuild. We'll rebuild. How bad was Philadelphia for a few years? Mm-hmm. Nobody wanted to play in Philly. That's right. Now, Elton Brand took every asset they have. You know, he did his best Billy King impersonation. I'll give you every draft pick we have for the next 10 years if you give us Tobias Harris. Okay, good deal. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I like Tobias Harris, but is, is he worth mortgaging your future for? Yeah, I... I like him too. He's the perfect, really the perfect player that uh, Golden State needed to go with uh, the Splash yeah. Brothers because he does so many things yeah. well on both ends of the floor. But uh, yeah, yeah, that was that was a lot. <laughs> and when you're sitting in the fifth seed in the East, and <laughs> like, hmm. Well, they're, they're sitting in the fifth spot in the East right now. It's for the same reasons that you and I discussed. Uh, during during the off season is it's great you have Al Horford and Bead and uh, no Tobias Harris but who's in your backcourt? Yeah, is Jason is Jason Richardson supposed to scare me? Because he <laughs> sure as hell doesn't. <laughs> in a league it's where your backcourt, you know, it's a backcourt league right now. It just is. Yeah, yeah. I, I just. You're not you're not scaring me with that, guys. I, I I want to see the Sixers be successful, but you're not scaring me with Joel Embiid. I mean, I'm sorry, Jason Richardson. Joel Embiid, yes, he does. He he can scare me. Yeah, he's terrifying. <laughs> the other, yeah. <laughs> and I don't mean terrifying looking. I mean like he's as a player, he's terrifying. Yeah. Uh, so. Um, so, Bill, you know, we have Christmas right around the corner here, and um, which is, for us, the unofficial beginning of the NBA season. Right. I, I want to ask fans. you. For hey, casual which, fans of the league. <laughs> you know, for casual fans of the league, 
like, like for me, I covered the NBA, and yes, the, you know, the, and I covered the NFL. And for me, yes, the beginning of the NBA, the, the real, real beginning of the NBA season is Christmas, especially if your NFL team is not making the playoffs. You know, the season only has like one or two weeks left. We start looking towards the NBA. It, obviously, the Mavericks were a team that surprised everybody. If, but if I had to say that the slate of Christmas games that we have going on, is there anything that, that immediately sticks out to you saying, I can't wait for this game on Christmas? Well, let's look at the December 25th schedule. So you got Boston-Toronto. Well, Cam's out now, so Boston wins that game easily. Milwaukee-Philly, That's the Bucks are going to win that by 15 or 20. Houston Golden State, forget it. The Warriors are the worst team in the league with all their injuries. Um, yeah, certainly not New make, Orleans, Denver. Who made this schedule? They need to make... change these. <laughs> they booked these games back. Probably they just decided these probably back in like August. They need to they need to change them. But uh, yeah, the only game that I think is even a contest is uh, the two the L A at L A. Clippers at at Lakers because Kawhi can step up and shut down LeBron, maybe, has a history of doing that. And then who from the Lakers is going to beat you? Anthony Davis, can he do it all by, you know, I don't, I don't know. That's the only game that's even interesting. The other ones are like, hey, could I watch a rerun of The Grinch or uh, Elf or Home Alone? Or The Christmas Story. (laughs) The Christmas Story. (laughs) You shoot your eye out. Harden will shoot your eye out. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's it's not the marquee lineup that perhaps – I mean, of course, they were thinking Zion with New Orleans. Watch Zion Williamson on Christmas. That's not going to happen. And if Golden – Houston Golden State would have been a rematch. Would have been great if everybody's healthy, but they're not. So yeah, the only one, Milwaukee at Philly might be interesting, but I think Milwaukee wins that. And but the only one that's like maybe maybe the Clippers could beat the Lakers. Maybe it'd be interesting to watch. All right, well, Bill, listen, I I know that part of your Christmas present came came to fruition. You got a good movie from George last Lucas night and uh, Disney. Yep. I got it at the movie theater. Thank you, J.J. Abrams. (laughs) (laughs) Ray Johnson gets another coal, another coal in his stocking, and uh... (laughs) so. So, with that being said, Bill, I want to wish you and your family a great Merry Christmas, and we'll uh, we'll be back before the New Year starts. So we'll have one more episode. Thank you, and and uh, all of our. All of our listeners, of course, Merry Christmas to everyone, or Happy Hanukkah, if that's your persuasion. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, yeah, I appreciate it. And uh, we'll definitely be back. The Hanukkah. We'll be back to see which teams got presents in their stockings uh, next week. <laughs> let's, let's do it then. So for Bill Ingram, who's at the Rocket Guy on, on uh, Twitter, and I'm at Randy BSB on Twitter and Instagram. This has been another episode of the Hardwood Huddle. We're looking forward to uh, seeing you guys next week. See you guys all then.
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.